Hey everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for another exciting episode of On the Lighter Side of Baseball. This is Jamie Uretsky coming to you live from Overland Park, Kansas, where I am quarantined, not really, I'm at home, and uh, occasionally do get out to the golf course as it is still acceptable in the state of Kansas. So for you folks that are trying to occupy some time, be entertained, I hope that the Lighter Side of Sports is able to do that for you because I have a great time uh, putting together these shows. And this week, uh, we've got a good show, and it's going to come to you on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. You can also find it on my Facebook page. Uh, And also, if you get to my Facebook page, search on the Lighter Side of Baseball, and I believe... Uh, that you can hear that, and we are beginning to roll. We're beginning to pick up some more listeners. Uh, We think that once all this uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, gets resolved, we're going to book a little bit of sponsorship agreement with my good buddy Chris at uh, Papa Kino's, baby. If you need a good slice of pizza, you know where you can get it. When they open, we're going to have a grand opening celebration. Live podcasting from Papa Kino's. I may even bake my own pie. So, that'll be fun. I'm not going to try to come up with anything that rhymes with that. I'm just going to say that this week is a fun week on the lighter side of baseball. We're trying to keep it light in these troubled times. But, uh, you know, people are saying there's a light at the end of the tunnel. How big is the tunnel? How big is the light? We don't know. I mean, I think we're probably optimistic in our hopes for spring training in May, baseball in June. Major leagues coming up with some cockamamie ideas. Play alone in Arizona. Uh, that is a pure greedy play for the TV money. But, you know, it is what it is. We'll see what happens. They're not going to ask me about it. So all I can do is opine that that is not acceptable as a season ticket holder for the Kansas City Royals and the Chicago Cubs. Anyway, this week... On this particular podcast, in a little while, I expect a call from a friend of mine who was the center fielder for the 1984 Cubs, Bobby Dernier. And so we're looking forward to having Bobby Dernier on the show here in a little while. It's going to be great. Can't wait. He is a good guy, had a great career, uh, cut short a little bit by some uh, leg injuries. And when you're a base-stealing fast outfielder, uh, it's not good to have a problem with your legs, but we'll cover that with, uh, with Bobby and some other exciting topics. Uh, later on in the week, we're going to be back on Sunday with Craig Kashan for our weekly podcast, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk a little bit about the Negro League Museum, and uh, we're going to try to arrange for some other guests. We may go back uh, to uh, Sammy Solis. That, that show is getting a lot of good play. Uh, Dwayne Stats, that show, and they're all available. All you got to do is go to iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, and you can get any of last year's 46 episodes, and so far this is episode number 12. Aha! So, what numbers do number 12 conjure up in my mind? Based upon my childhood, none other than J.C. Martin. Yes, sirree, Bobby. J.C. Martin was a catcher for the Chicago White Sox during uh, the 60s. And uh, the White Sox weren't exactly a powerhouse, but 
J.C. Martin was traded along with my man Al Weiss, my favorite player. We all know about how I love, respect, and always rooted for Al Weiss. And uh, he and J.C. Martin went to the 1969 Mets, and those miracle Mets won the World Series with a number of White Sox, Al Weiss, J.C. Martin, Tommy A.G., whoo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, we'll talk about the Mobile kid, Tommy A.G. sometime, number one for the White Sox. I'm not sure what number he wore for the uh, uh, for the uh, Mets, but J.C. Martin and Al Weiss were certainly teaming up for some controversy, I believe. Uh, one was famous for black polish that got on the ball, and the umpire bought it and went to first base when he showed him his, the ball with the shoe polish on it. That, that was great. And uh, leave it to baseball players to figure out how to steal first base. And then uh, I think J.C. Martin may have uh, been involved in a controversial play. We'll check out that 69 World Series sometime in an upcoming podcast because those are exciting. So, you know, send the podcast to your friends. Tell them that they can search The Lighter Side of Baseball on uh, uh, iTunes. Everybody uh, with an iPhone has iTunes podcasting capabilities, Spotify. And you subscribe for free. And uh, it gives you an hour, hour and a half worth of entertainment whenever you want to dial it up. And uh, there have been some great, great shows. Back to number 12, from the Chicago White Sox number 12, to Hall of Famers wearing number 12. Not really my favorite Hall of Famers. One number 12 played for the Cleveland Indians during... Uh, part of their dominance in the American League, and that was Roberto Alomar, brother of Sandy Alomar, son of Sandy Alomar Sr., who played for the White Sox. See, there's always comes back to the Pale Hose, that uh, great team on the south side of Chicago. Woohoo! And the south side of Chicago right now is not exactly doing well with COVID-19, but our hopes, prayers, and thoughts go out to the wards on the south side, and hopefully... Things are going to get better. The corner's going to turn. We'll round second, head to third, and uh, pretty soon things will be hopefully getting better in Chicago. But that's Roberto Alomar, maybe famous for spitting in the face of an umpire. That wasn't his best moment. Sometimes we feature bad moments, good moments, any moments that pop into my mind. And uh, right now there's nothing else on my mind besides... COVID-19 and baseball. So, man, oh, man, I'm going to have some fun this week going through some of my memorabilia. Uh, I'm going to try to get a hold of Bob Kendrick with the Negro League Museum, see if somehow I can't talk him into uh, maybe giving me a call. So you just never know what's going to come down the pike on the lighter side of baseball. Now, a Hall of Famer whose bat I do have, who also wore number 12 was none other than Wade Boggs, again, one of the great hitters. Probably, if you go down to 10 or 15 of the greatest hitters in the history of the game, uh, you know, maybe you get to Wade Boggs. Certainly in my lifetime, that was probably true. Some names that come to mind after you have Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and Willie Mays, Hank Aaron... Then you get into the Carl Yastrzemskis, the Tony Gwynns, the George Bretts, the Wade Boggs. Those guys could all swing the stick. I'm sure I'm leaving out a few people. Another guy that could all, all year, every year, day in, day out, 
part of the flannel era, part of the era that I grew up watching, and I saw a lot of him because he was in the American League, which comprised of eight teams. He was with the Detroit Tigers. And for Al Kaline, a distinguished career and our fond memory of Al as he had a good life and he recently passed away. And our thoughts and prayers go out to his family. Man, oh man, could Al Kaline hit. And then when you think of Al Kaline, you think of Bill Freehand and you think of all the other greats that played with the uh, Detroit Tigers. And then you get down to some other lefties, Duke Snyder, Willie Stargell. Man, oh man, could go on for hours on this, but we are just kind of coming up on uh, the second segment of podcast number 12. Uh, like I said, I'm expecting Bobby Denier to call in, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, we will not be on Zoom. Man, Zoom has been good. I love Zoom, but Bobby and I are going to do the phone interview. There may be a little difference in sound quality, to which I uh, apologize, but I think it'll be all right. Uh, in the meantime, what are we doing to uh, pass the time? Uh, you know, Netflix and a few of those shows. I've been watching the Golf Channel. Oh, man, I could watch Arnold Palmer shows all day long. I could watch, you know, The Natural. I could watch Bull Durham. I could watch Major League, Field of Dreams, all these movies. I could watch over and over and over again. Um, they're spectacular and they're fun. I'm going to watch the Masters this weekend because this would be Masters weekend. There'll be a lot of Masters shows on the Golf Channel, and I'm kind of looking forward to that. I am looking forward to seeing a few clips of what's going on in Arizona. I think the uh, Royals are still down in camp. They're getting ready for hopefully what they believe will be maybe baseball in June. Uh, as we said last week, the scoop that uh, was broken by Craig Kishon that the major sports commissioners had a conference call with the President of the United States who was hoping that he could convince those leagues to start up again and, uh, you know, we could have basketball, hockey, baseball, all in the same time period. Don't know. I mean, we need to have some Good therapies for people who, unfortunately, catch coronavirus. And then we need to work on a vaccine, which I predict is going to be coming down the pipe sooner than later, uh, maybe before Christmas, I hope. You know, that's just blind optimism. I have no idea. And uh, all I can do is talk a little bit about baseball. And like I said, upcoming this Sunday, we are talking about some of the Hall of Famers I like to talk about the Hall of Famers that are from the Negro League, some of the guys that maybe we haven't heard of. Um, we're going to talk about a few folks that didn't get into the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about a few folks that bridged the gap between the Negro Leagues and the Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame era. That would be uh, Willie Mays. That would be Hank Aaron. Uh, that would be Ernie Banks. All three of those guys... We're in that Negro League at the end of the Negro Leagues and uh, went into the Major Leagues soon thereafter with the Trailblazers, Larry Doby, Jackie Robinson, who we talk about frequently. We're going to talk a lot about 
uh, Dave Nelson. I'm not sure why, but uh, why not? Uh, we'll visit with Bobby Dor- uh, Dernier. Bobby Dor- <laughs> Another Hall of Famer. Not Bobby Dor, Bobby Dernier. If I call Bobby Dernier Bobby Dor, then that's just a tribute to my failing mental state. And uh, I don't think I will. Anyway, uh, we're not going to talk about Bobby Dor quite yet. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Bobby Denier, his career, and some other things. So when we come back from our break, hopefully, technically, luckily, spontaneously, whatever you want to say, we're going to have Bobby Denier. And uh, sometimes my voice may come in, might come out. Who knows? Anyway, my show, my fun, great time. And hats off to uh, my sponsors, Papakino, maybe, Mr. Euros, maybe, and who knows who else. Plugs for everybody, free publicity. Let's get this show circulating and exponentially growing the lighter side of baseball. Jamie Rensky, Irvine Park, and we'll see you back on segment two in just a couple minutes. And back we are in segment two, and uh, in just a few minutes we're going to get Bobby Denier on the line, and we're going to talk a little bit about his outstanding career and what he's been doing since. But I thought before we get Bobby Denier on the line, let's play one of the greatest home runs in the history of the game, and it featured none other than our guest today, Bobby Denier. And in just a second, we're going to get the lad that scored that winning run in the bottom of the 12th with a three-run inside the park home run, none other than Bobby Denier and uh, Harry Callis with the call, one of the all-time great Hall of Fame broadcasters. And uh, that is a thrill, and I can't wait to talk to Bobby about that and a lot of other things in just a second. Buddy Jamie Oreski back on the lighter side of baseball, and you just heard, I probably violated a number of uh, trademark laws, but you heard the great Harry Callis describe an inside-the-park home run, three-run tater, that uh, 
won the game for the Philadelphia Phillies and my next guest, and I'm so happy to have him on the show. He's been a friend since the uh, since I met him in St. Croix with the Dave Nelson Golf Tournament, Queen Louise, and he's just an all-around good guy. And not only that, he's a great baseball player, and I'm proud to have him on the show. Bobby Dernier, how are you doing, man? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? I am doing really good, trying to make the best out of these tough times when uh, everybody's trying to hunker down and stay put, but um, I thought that maybe for uh, a little while you and I could shoot the breeze about St. Croix, about the Phillies, about the one of the great all-time Cub teams you were on, and just uh, get, catch up on how you're doing. So basically, how are you doing, man? Yeah, everything. well, it's, it's like we were talking uh, before we went on the air here, uh, it's just weird whether you're kind of... Um, in the sports mode or just regular life mode, work mode, everything's just, uh, it, it causes, I think a little reflection maybe, or a little bit of, uh, forces the inward a little to, you know, to kind of think how resourceful are you? How, how, how about that project that, that you've been saying you were going to do? And now you got all the time to do it. You kind of find out what you're made of, don't you? Yeah, that's exactly right. I've, I've, I've got about, 200 autographed bats of which are maybe 100 hall of fame guys and i keep wanting to uh you know kind of organize it which i haven't done and kind of write a little narrative about each bat and in fact not that you're in the hall of fame but in fantasy camp which we'll get into i'm looking at a bob dernier autograph that i got from you in fantasy camp a long time ago how about that well and it's funny you mentioned and uh, St. Croix as well, uh, because I, I had one of those projects was I have a loft area here at the house that I my wife's kind of uh, allowed all my baseball uh, memories and so on to migrate to. So it's my job to keep that area kind of organized and kind of make sense of it, along with plenty of help from her when it comes to wall hangings and, so, and that sort of thing. But. Anyway, of course, I ran across many. I was down there, you know, I think I, what turned out to be 12 years in St. Croix uh, from uh, 01 through 011, I believe, at least 11 years, I guess. But anyway, I was I was just really taken aback and, and looking at the team pictures. The golf course is uh, one of the highlights of the whole week down there every year or was. And, and I was fortunate to be on three championship teams with Lou Lester and um, and, and, uh, Gus and, and his group and, and, uh, and then the Tom Morgan award is one of my favorite things to display among, among, uh, things up there that are sports related. And, uh, and then, you know, the fantasy camp, obviously I've done some 27 of those, I think is what I ended up doing. And, you know, Randy's Randy Hundley, uh, this was his last go around with the Cubs in, in that regard. I don't know. How, I don't know how they'll go forward if the Cubs are going to do their own thing and Randy as well but as we've known it Jamie uh, fantasy camp is no more it's great isn't it well I mean we'll all miss it uh, no doubt uh, but like everything else you know change, life changes and uh, I guess fantasy camp Cubs fantasy camp will change as well yeah I tell you what the um the St. Croix deal for me was great because, number one, I mean, uh, I've loved baseball forever. And down there for a week, uh, 
the uh, the the uh, celebrities like yourself couldn't get away from me. We most of us were staying at the Buccaneer, and uh, you know, from Mike Cuellar to Louis Tian to Bob Dunier to you name it, I had like you know an open uh, session with these guys every day, just sitting around because there was they couldn't. They couldn't escape from me. It was great. <laughs> well, you know, we were stuck on the beach, right? The Buccaneer, not a bad place to be cornered. Well, and, and uh, Bob Solis, who you know, and uh, sure. who's just one heck of a guy uh, and has been on this podcast a few times with his son, Sammy, who pitched for the Nationals. But Bob wanted me to say hello to you and tell you that uh, some of his best memories were 7 o'clock at Carambola, teeing off and... Uh, uh, taking in a round of golf down there. What a beautiful place to play. Yeah, and Bob, I got to spend uh, a lot of time with over the years, and I've seen him, you know, since, obviously, many times, and followed Sammy. And, you know, a big reason I got to go to the St. Croix event um, in the first place was because of a bunch of guys that were kind of centered in Kansas City, uh, including Pete LeCock and Greg Pryor and Dave Nelson, you know, of course, spent time here in KC, and those guys kind of helped steer me in, in that regard. And uh, I felt really fortunate to be one of the chosen few to get invited and re-invited. And, and uh, it's still one of those things, Jamie, I miss, man. I really miss going down there. Yeah, I do too. I just, uh, you know, the you talked about winning three, three championships down there. My only memory, I've got a trophy uh, for the longest drive, but unfortunately it was my wife that got it and not me. So I have not only no... I have no uh, championships, but my only trophy from St. Croix is my wife's trophy for the longest drive, and I got to tell you, that's pretty. That's tough to go with, man. I don't know. My wife's starting to play, and uh, I'm hoping she can outdrive me. That that make her nasty, you know. In the in the four man or four person scramble, she'd be a real, you know, a real sneaky asset to have, wouldn't she? Ah, uh, she would be, because you know they get a little break on the tees and. Uh, Man, that was fun. I mean, from John Warden to, you know, I just tried getting in touch with Gary Peters, who I played with a couple times down there. Um, it just was fun, but but fantasy camp was fun too, although I think I tore my hamstring in the first game. But other than that, it was a great time. And, you know, being around Billy Williams and Ron Santa was alive and came over uh, a few days. And for, you know, for me and for my love of baseball, man, you guys were great. That was just a that was that was a fun time. It really is, uh, and, and has been. It's been a, I guess for me, what in, in one sentence, if if uh, if you were to describe it, it would be what once was a fantasy camp became a reunion, yeah. and, and that's how the people treated it, the fans, and certainly us, you know, as former players, I can tell you it's one of the ways we can reconnect. And I think those of us that enjoy that and, you know, have maintained uh, friendships with former teammates over the years, I certainly have. And, and uh, several of those guys, I get to see it at fantasy camp every year or at the Cubs convention or, or, or things like that. No, it seemed like you guys were on a, a great rotation with the uh, fantasy camp and then the uh, Cub convention. And then for you and, Ferguson Jenkins and, and others, you got to go down and work at spring training. And I know you, you know, have had a lot of different uh, positions with a lot of different teams. And, you know, from coaching and playing with the Cubs and being an ambassador, uh, 
you know, what a great, what a great organization to have uh, all those ties with. And I, I know you've got a ton of memories going way back to 1984. Woo. Yeah, they give us, you know, it's like a big hug. Um, the fans are, you know, have maintained that. You know, one thing that's funny about baseball, I think we most of us agree that that have that love affair you sort of mentioned right off the top. And that's what, you know, dad, grandpa, they all had, you know, sports in mind all the time. And so I had all the balls in the, in the middle of the floor to choose from because they were sports bands and and played. My dad was playing uh, when I was a little boy and, and uh, he was playing twice a week in an overhand and an underhand fast pitch softball league. So it was legit. Uh, he was a catcher and in, in, in the uh, in the underhand and then he was a pitcher in the overhand fast pitch league and. So we were always at the ballpark and, and, and messing around with some kind of ball. And I think what, what common denominator comes from that is that we all sort of, uh, we, we have that memory or memories that we relate to, you know, baseball in this case or, or a sport, sporting event when we were a kid. And we'll always remember that year and that team. And I get that feedback, that hug, if you will, from Cub fans all the time. Yeah, that's cool, and that's cool about your dad and your grandfather, and because you know those those images for some reason uh, stick in your mind. I, my dad was older than most of my buddies' dads, but I can remember playing catch. I can remember back then uh, because he had grown up on the south side of Chicago. We were we were diehard White Sox fans. I've turned kind of three hundred sixty degrees being a Cub season ticket holder. But I can remember in 1984, and I hate to admit it, that uh, it didn't it didn't break me up when you guys uh, went out to the West Coast and didn't come home with a flag. But uh, I wouldn't say that to too many guys, Bobby. You had a great year with the Cubs, and is that? And you won the pennant with the with the Phillies the year before. What you know, if you had to pick uh, a couple of your favorite teams, uh, what do you think? would be up at the uh, the top three or four. Wow. Well, that 84 team tops the list. I mean, that was simply the best team I I played uh, every day on, um, being a starter. And, and that lineup that came behind me, it was an, an embarrassment of riches I had as far as teammates. When, when And I can, of course, recite them in a second. But... Uh, you know those names, Sandberg, Matthews, Moreland, Durham, Say, Jody Davis, and Larry Boa. Uh, and by the way, we might throw a pitcher in there who could hit a guy named Rick Sutcliffe. No kidding. Hey, uh, a neighbor, yeah, he's so got to live down the street from you, doesn't he, at some point? You're... Yeah. So, you know, for lineup's sake, but I, but if you if you do go to reflect back to, the, to that 83 uh, National League Championship team, it was an older team. There was a lot of us younger guys kind of had to, fight our way into the lineup once in a while. Vaughn uh, Hayes and Juan Samuel and myself, I remember sitting over on the bench and, you know, but we're watching Rose and Morgan and Perez and Schmidt and Maddox and, and Matthews and on and on. Uh, these older guys who could, you know, they could play, brother. So it was a hard sort of lineup to break uh, into in the early 80s. When I came up in 1980, that was the world championship team. That yeah. beat the Royals, you know, beat one of beat my favorite team. Oh, I and, was uh, 
that was the first World Series that uh, I went to in Kansas City. I've had season tickets since 79, so 80, 85, and 15, and 14. World Series uh, riches for the Royals when some of the other years were kind of pathetic. But that 1980, I always go back to the uh, playoff game in the afternoon on Friday. Uh, you were busy with the Phillies, but the Royals were busy beating the Yankees, and it was probably one of the top five exciting games I've been to. And then uh, they took on your Philadelphia Phillies, and you were just, uh, you had, what, come up for eight or ten games at the end of the uh, regular season in 1980? Yeah, I came out of double A. I was yet to uh, make the roster. I wasn't even on the 40-man roster until Dallas Green, of course, was the manager and, and the eventual general manager of the Cubs when I was traded over there. So he was a bit of a godfather for me. And uh, he brought me up in September. I, I appeared in 10 games in, uh, in the stretch run. And that was my cup of coffee. That was my introduction to, here. you know, welcome to the major leagues. And you're not going to play every day yet, but uh, good luck. And, and so, you know, I was a leadoff hitter and a center fielder. There was a guy named Rose and a guy named Maddox, eight-time gold glover and center, and a 17-year veteran uh, in a, who's going to be eventually all-time hits leader leading off. So I knew right away. I said, "Well, to myself, I said, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to have another job." Uh, so I started looking at right field. It was kind of open, and so my first chance to play every day, I ended up playing right field. And although I was in the leadoff spot because the game had evolved and even Pete agreed uh, to do that. And, and uh, we were on deck together, you know, so who, who could ask for a better professor on deck if you're trying to graduate leadoff school, you know? Well, you've named 20 guys that, that are just historic icons in the sport. I mean, when you reel off, whether it's the Cubs roster, the Phillies, you've played with, you know, in the golden, my goal, what I would call the golden era, at least in my lifetime, and um, what what a great, great baseball life you have lived. I mean, it's I get goosebumps just sitting there listening, you know, to talking about Pete Rose to uh, all those guys, and um, was uh, Matthews on that Phillies team when uh, before you and he got traded? Yeah, he's on both teams, and I think, and, and still one of my best friends. We talk almost daily. A matter of fact, I, I blew off one of his calls uh, just a little while ago, Jamie, and 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 uh, knowing that you were calling, so when I call him back, I'm going to probably take a little bit of a, a couple of punches for you there, because uh, he knows I'm not doing nothing. I'm sitting at home, or I'm, you know. I'm not that busy, so well, he'll be he'll be like, "What could you possibly be doing?" Oh, you know, on a great. Thursday in April. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm having a great time, and our listeners are having a great time listening to you talk about that uh, team with Sandberg. I mean, you let off Sandberg batted in the second hole. Is that my memory, or you know, did that? Yeah, he hit second, and Matthews hit third. Yeah, and as I recall, was it uh, the first game of the? Uh, the NLCS, you let off with a home run? In 84, yeah. I yeah. sure did. Second, oh, my God. Second pitch in the bottom of the first. And, uh, yeah, you can say I've been waiting for that at bat. I've been seeing that pitch coming for a number of years. And tell everybody what the pitch was and who was pitching. 
Uh, well, God rest his soul, uh, Eric Shaw, who's who's yeah. passed away now, but he was the number one starter for San Diego that year, and uh, he was a tough customer. Uh, if you could get ahead of him in the counts, the way I looked at it and, and anticipate that fastball, then I had a little better chance of getting you know getting ahead of the bat on it. And that that particular time, I hit it about as hard as I could. I got to admit, it, it, it was just. Uh, Right away, I knew it was gone because the wind was blowing out, Jamie, that day about 15 at Wrigley. Yeah. Well, and I got to tell you, the uh, um, that game, obviously one of the great games in Cubs history, was on a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Marquee Sports Network apparently inherited most of the WGN video, and they played that game when I was up in, uh, in my place up in Chicago. And what a thrill. What a great... I mean, games one and two, my God, were just spectacular. And then uh, what a crazy format that was. If you had the format now, you guys would have won the pennant. Well, I don't, you will never know. But there's one thing, I guess, if you had to find that one thing that kind of sticks in my craw, it was, it was this simple fact. You know, we, we had the best record in the National League that year, 196. And, uh, we had earned home field advantage in the playoffs. Now the, 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 behind the curtain, of course, we don't have lights. So, and you know, television rules the day, uh, they write the checks and everybody likes to get paid. So after further review, the commissioner's office came back and told us, now you're going to play two at home and three in San Diego. And we called BS on that. We said, now, now we earned this. Uh, how about if we play three games at Comiskey, and uh, and then two in San Diego? And so they they met and came back and they said no to that. And and we told Dallas, uh, the, we said, well, tell them we're not playing. And they said, well, then you're not getting no coke. You know, you're not you're <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna forfeit the NLCS. And so we had no choice. Um, and to this day. It wasn't about the ballpark. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the lights. To me, it was about you took the home field advantage away from Chicago Cub fans all over the all over the planet. Totally, did. and and I took it personal, and I still do. Well, you know, it's interesting because that format. I'm not sure if it was ever followed again, but I never thought about the light situation because Wrigley didn't have lights till 1988. You could have played over on the south side. That would have made sense. And, you know, travel even back then. You jump on a plane, play two games in San Diego, and play game five back in Chicago. But I never thought about the fact that the lights weren't at Wrigley and that influenced the money. Yeah, no doubt. And that, and that was just a pill we had to swallow. And everybody understood it. And look, all we had to do was go out to San Diego and win one game. And yeah. granted, game, game three got away in a hurry. But uh, we certainly could have, would have, should have won game four or game five. The table was set to do that. We just didn't close the deal, Jamie. Well, and how often do Cub fans say all we needed to do was win one game? Reference 2003 and the uh, the infamous Bartman game and the uh, fact that they had Wooden Pryor going. Uh, yeah, well, which was even a weirder way to, you know, I, I you know I used to say well. We, we came back to lose from three up three games to one, you know, or up two games to none like we were. Right. It, and it was just almost impossible to write down a scenario 
that 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 would be you know the story if you will oh three was just what a heartbreaking thing that was ours was tough but i thought oh three was just yeah i i you know i gotta agree it was just a bizarre set of circumstances and i don't know if a lose reaction set everything in motion or if it was the uh curse of the billy goat or the black cat but um you know from 1969 until 2016, at least in my lifetime, there were some strange things that happened to those Chicago Cubs, weren't there? Well, but the beauty of it is, I guess, and I tell people this all the time, there's no relationship quite like the relationship in sports between Cup, between fans and the players and the former players like it is with the Chicago Cubs. And, yeah. and, and it's just a story, I guess, because it's, it's so lengthy, over a hundred years, as we know, and the, and being, you know, in the midst of those pages of history, if you will, and in, in, in particular in '84, and then even in, in extended ways, when I got to stand on that field in Cleveland, I was doing media, as you know, and, and doing some pre and post game with Lou Canellis and Chip Carey that that whole stretch in, in October. You know, three things happened, Jamie, that month in 2016 i'd been single for 15 years and i got married and nobody predicted that (laughs) and and donald trump got elected president nobody predicted that and the cubs won the world series finally the trifecta yeah i'll remember that month as my true honeymoon of a lifetime i got to follow the cubs around for 30 days with my new bride that's great that's great i remember uh, we saw each other in Cleveland for in Game Six. Chatted briefly before you went on the air, right. and uh, you know I know that that was an exciting time for you, and and I think that uh, the the uh, God, I've been to so many Game Sevens, Bob, that as a fan that didn't turn out good. Game Game Six of the nineteen fifty nine World Series before you were born. I was at Comiskey Park with my dad when the Dodgers shut the door on the Cubs. I you know, was in. With with Nelly, I, I, he was like family to me, so I got all of his Cleveland tickets. So in '95, I go out to Atlanta. They lose, I think, in Game Six. Go down to uh, Miami in '97, and oh my God, Jose Mesa gives it up, and Nagy gives it up, and boom! They, I mean, so I didn't go to. I left Cleveland and went home and went watched the first half of the game at Lou Malinati's, and then I went back to the condo and. Uh, a couple funny things happened, but thank you know, thank God they. What a great finish too! I mean, it was just uh, giving up the lead and then coming back and winning. Ah, what a great time! Yeah, it's a day and night, a, a place and you know, in time. Uh, you'll never forget where you were. You just, it's you know, just like a number of other events. If you've been around as long as you and I have, there's been spots along the way. You know, of course, nine eleven for all of us that are you know twenty years older. Right. Or, or older, but there's many other times, and and that time, with that moment when the Cubs won the World Series, you'll always be able to place yourself basically in the footprints that you were standing in when that happened. How about the two years before? Did you uh, uh, have any opportunity in 2014 or 15 to uh, see any of the games uh, with the Royals and the Giants and the Royals and the Mets in the uh, two World Series they were in? You know, I got—I was fortunate enough to be able to, to uh, buy tickets for my family. 
that wanted them. And I was able to buy four tickets and my brother dominated the, the uh, effort there, but uh, everybody got to a taste of it. Uh, my, I, the only game I got to go to was the, the best game of all, in my opinion. And that was that playoff game with the A's in the wild card in 14. Oh yeah. And you know, my son Dustin and I went, and I'll never forget it. And we're staying. We decided to take a lap when the Royals fell behind late in the eighth inning. Right. And they're about to they're about to come up. And uh, and we're by then we had walked clear around to center field. And I said, "Look at this view, and it's nice." And we're just just talking about kind of having that deep center field view of a ballpark is really unique when you can get there and you know, like looking from the bleachers, you know, at Wrigley, and. And I said, uh, and he, and I said, like, oh, look at that! And I looked at the gate area, and I said, look at all the people leaving. They could be missing one of the one of the greatest comebacks in the history of of postseason. So let's see what happens. And sure enough, you know the rest of the story. Absolutely. What, what a horrible uh, time it must have been driving over there on I seventy and having to listen to that on the radio after you left. Yeah, I tell you what, that's a that's a funny point too because there were a lot of people that. That uh, you know, I think Lester started or pitched that part of that game for the uh, A's, and uh, boy, oh boy, was that something that uh, you know, good things were going to follow from from that game. But you're right, that was just a spectacular game, and uh, you know, the 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 game that that I remember uh, back in '85, we had season tickets, and back then. And even now, but uh, if you had four season tickets, the Royals would let you buy four more. So most of my family was in the good seats, and I was in the outfield with two little rugrats. And in the ninth inning, I'm going, you know, I'm going to go grab the other people and get to the parking lot because there's no way we're going to win. And I get about uh, from the right field corner to right behind home plate, and boom, Dane Orge and Don Denkinger, and it all comes together. What a great game. You know, that's a ticket that I, I, I value in the way of memory as well because, and I have that ticket still up in my little loft. It's one of those ticket stubs, right? We've all got a few of those. Absolutely. And and that's one of my favorites because having, and I, I remember my seat was not good, um, but it was okay, I guess you could say. And, and uh, so I, you know, like nobody else in a, you know, up to upper deck, you're not going to, you can't, you don't know if he was out or safe. It kind of looked like he was safe. <laughs> Looks safe to me. Out, you know, you know, so you didn't know. Well, uh, of course, we all know what really happened. And uh, thank God there wasn't out. replay back then. Oh yeah. It changes, uh, changes careers. Yeah. And as you well know, uh, going back to the St. Croix days, Don Denkinger was, uh, was a big feature at uh, a certain point in time in that St. Croix tournament. Oh, what a, what a wonderful uh, man. Just a pleasant, a human being as you'd want to be around, right? Yeah. And he's the guy that got Nelly involved in it. Cause, uh, Solis went to Denkinger and said, Hey, a couple of guys have, have, uh, you know, bagged on us. Is there anybody you can think of from Florida that come out and, and play in the tournament? And Denkinger suggested Nelly. And then he ended up, you know, as you well know, taking a big interest in getting guys to come over and uh, all that stuff. But I love memorabilia. When when the Royals took up their turf, 
they sent every season hold, ticket holder a plaque with a little piece of what they said was the turf. And uh, in Saint, I took it to St. Croix, and I, I went up to Don, and I said, look, man, I, I don't know how you feel about um, signing autographs on, on this particular thing, but he said, no problem, and he signed my uh, wooden plaque of uh, Royals Turf, which is one of my more interesting pieces of, uh, of memorabilia, but uh, what, a, what a great, nice man he is. You know that you talk about tough, and I've 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 uh, been friendly with more than one umpire in my in my lifetime. But I remember sitting around and just uh, you know just in between a pitching change or whatever, and talking to guys to find out a little something. You know, just being a human being, right? And and uh, so I just I just uh, often would wonder what it would be like. I said, you know, we're trying to hit three hundred. That's seven out of ten. You know, we stink. And you're trying to hit like 99.9, right? Good, good point. Like one out of a thousand, maybe you miss. And then you stink on that one time, you know, and you're remembered. It's just horrible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great connection between three out of 10 and you're in the Hall of Fame, but an umpire blows a call and that's, uh, you know, you get hate mail for the rest of your life. Yeah, what a just a, a, a dynamic, if you will, or a, an element of, of sports that we all kind of, you know, Bill Buckner was a great friend of mine, Jamie, and, and we lost him about a year ago now. Yeah. And uh, he would come the last several years. He came down to spring training. You mentioned with Fergie. We, we raised money for Fergie Jenkins Foundation. We sit out there and sign autographs at, right. at the home games. And, and basically we play golf and hang out. And, and uh, so... Anyway, Bill was in such good spirit uh, three or four years ago. He was his wife Jody plays as well. We get out and play golf, and we watched him deteriorate. You know, the last four years and uh, dementia is just a horrible thing. He had the Louis body uh, uh, dementia that was just it was it was uh, described like this. I'll tell you what Bill told me. And last year. In spring training, he said, Bobby, he said, what, it's, it's, I'm here, he said, but it's like I'm, I'm a prisoner in my own body. Wow. And it was just as spooky a thought, and I thought, wow, you know, and he was okay around us, but in, in uh, large crowds, or if he was asked to do something, sometimes he'd just go blank slate, and, you know, and they had a little Parkinson's he was dealing with. Wow. Toward the end as well, but he, he was such a wonderful guy, and, uh. Uh, those guys come to mind when you're sitting around in the coronavirus delay and sure. you start you know, losing friends. Uh, Ed Farmer was another former teammate, a White Sox right. guy. He just passed away. Yeah, we played in Philly together. So, you know, it's a it's a humbling time, but I think we can all we can all agree, uh, ladies and gentlemen alike, we we don't like it when, when we don't have our sports to watch. That's true. Play, right. Well, it's a, yeah. You've got that different perspective than 99.9% of the rest of us because we can all, you know, those of us that I played college baseball and I can remember vividly almost every guy on the roster, but that was like two years. But you got to come up through the minor leagues. You played Major League Baseball until 19, I think, 89. And all of the not only can you probably remember virtually every at-bat, but you can remember all the great friendships you formed because I think 
like hockey players, I think baseball players are just basically most of them, and and I'm sure we can come up with a few that might be exceptions, but most of these guys are just down home good guys. Yeah, and so and so are are most people. Generally speaking, yeah. it's my experience. Right. I have I don't have many. I don't have many stories of like, man, he was a real butthead or, <laughs> or she really, yeah. you know, she was mean, you know, I just don't, I guess I've been around, I've been baseball so giving. I mean, it, it truly is in the way of giving back times 10 kind of thing, you know, Yeah, because, I, because of what you mentioned, I mean, because of baseball, I'm a music guy, but I, I think, boy, I've, I've become, you know, over the years I was able to become friends with Tim McGraw because I played with Tug. And and friends with Eddie Vetter because I'm a I'm an ex Cub guy and and he loves us Jamie just yeah. I mean he's a Cub guy he does so my kids my and, kids think that's cool even more than I do I'm a little too old for Pearl Jam they're on my list but they you know I grew up in the '60s and '70s music mostly right and a little bit of the '80s of course but but uh, and nonetheless it's a common denominator we all share and that's a love for baseball. Well, and not that he's a musical genius, but Bill Murray is another guy that I'm sure. Murray, uh, yeah. What a and great. Brian Murray as well. He lives uh, here in Kansas City. So Murray belongs to a club that we belong to out in California, and he's not there a lot, but he's got a house. And one day we walked into the uh, the grill for breakfast, and there was some guy, you know, who was singing an Irish song that I guess you'd sing at funerals, and I'm going, is this? some guy off the street that they let in just because they felt sorry for him. And then after he was, and he was, turned out he was there for a funeral celebration. They were, they were um, memorializing a fellow that had died and Bill was doing the service out on the third tee. He stands up and I go, God, you know, it's Bill Murray. And I'm going, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. So, and I know you get to know him. I get to look at him, but, uh, you know, there's nothing like a Cub fan. It's pretty cool. No, he's he, and he's as, as strange as you might imagine. We all pick on him that way when given a chance. Even his brother. I mean, Brian. I'll tell you. You know, if the butterfly flies by Bill, he'll get distracted and you've lost him. Well, and yeah, so they pick on each other that way. It's a, it's a great thing to have. The the Cub fan is, you know, the variety pack that is. You know, Vince Vaughn or John Cusack, a number of actors or people that, you know, you'd know their names that I, I've been able to meet or get to know a little bit. But the beauty of it is that they, the common denominator, that they just love baseball and sports. Yeah. You know, it's a big deal in America. Uh, I think it's part of our sort of uh, our protein in our blood or something that we, we got to have sports, don't we? Yeah, we do. And, uh, you know, I especially miss uh, uh, golf on TV, and uh, I miss baseball. But you know, I, f- I feel optimistic that it's gonna that it's gonna return sooner than later, and uh, we can only hope. How about your son? Does he have that same love of baseball? I I met him in St. Croix. I think you brought him to the tournament at least once that I can remember. Yeah, I brought a number of, uh, you know, I remember I was single, Jamie, so I had, I had choices, right? Yeah. And I couldn't just bring my wife every year like a lot of normal guys. But anyway, <laughs> um, I did bring Stacy though, once as well. 
And I brought my mom. I brought my oldest son, Dustin, you mentioned. I brought one of my best friends, uh, Bill Cromwell, came down, I remember. And sometimes I came with a, a girlfriend or, or up by myself. But I had Dustin that one year. You remember Pete Lecoq, of course, is one of my great friends. Oh, Peacock. Yeah, and Pete brought his uh, daughter, Janae, that year. So Dustin and Janae knew each other, and they kind of palled around. That was a, a fun year for Pete and I to have each of us have, you know, one of our kids down uh, it's because St. Croix was such a, it was truly a talk about a reunion uh, and a bit of a family event for most of us that returned year after year. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Cuellar, Oliva, um, Eddie Murray. Teons, I mean, Eddie Murphy were probably the most, the Maria and, and, and Louie, right. The Tiots were such a key part of that, that oh. thing for me. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I've run into him a few more times at card shows, and he's just such a nice guy. I mean, such a really good guy. And you know, like I said, those guys would sit out on their on the little front de- deck there at the Buccaneer, and uh, it was like when Nelly coached the White Sox in '83 before some of the problems developed, you know, I'd go into the clubhouse after a game and Charlie Loud treat me like I played, I mean, like I was a regular guy. And that's the way Oliva, Cuellar, all those guys just were really nice to the, the non-celebrity folks that were there. And uh, what a, what a, just a classic group. Yeah, the generation, I think it speaks to, yeah, right? I mean, it was just, a, it's a generation to learn from, you know, just sort of not so common courtesies or, you know, just, I don't know, I guess some things maybe we've taken for granted or forgotten uh, that should be part of routine. I think partly because everybody's in just such a big hurry. Um, here's a question for you I wanted to ask because when I thought, boy, we're going to talk, I want to get your opinion. Uh, now we can't hand, you know, handshakes or hugs or everything's kind of in, you know, in jeopardy, right? So I wonder... What are the baseball players going to come up with for, you know, after you hit a bomb or you score a big run or make a play and everybody's, you know, doing their thing, their high fives, if you will, what are they going to create now without any touching? Yeah. I, you know, they, they sort of started in spring training there the last couple of days, you know, faking elbow bumps or stuff like that. But um, you look at the, the uh, celebrations that were going on during the, the playoffs in the last couple of years with the uh, Astros. <laughs> we can get into that on another day. But yeah. uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, to me, to the fan looking into that, it's taken on a Caribbean slash Japanese flavor. If, and you, you played with some of these guys that if the folks were doing what happens now, the Bob Gibsons of the world, they, they police the deal, and, and the, you wouldn't be doing a lot of things that, that get done now, which the fans like. And I, I'm not saying that's bad, but a lot of the celebrations, I think, go a little far. So if, they, if they're not doing a lot of hand-touching, that's not going to bother me a lot. No, I'm not, I'm not a, a huge fan of it, but I do like watching the movie. I like to see how people will behave, and especially... We all know, Jamie, when we're 20-something, you know, let's just say we're 25, we're not quite wanting to be completely out of our college act. Right. And we all know, yeah, some of that act you got to forgive us for. 
because we just our brains weren't quite complete yet and we just were silly so well, and all the adrenaline and all the you know god what one tenth of one billion percentage guys play in the major league so my hat goes off to all of you guys and you know back in the eras of breaking up double plays back in the era of you know speed being a big part of offense and you were as fast as they came and as good a base stealer as as there was in the game in the 80s um the the game changes and and that's okay i mean i can i can handle that some some of my listeners think that instead of the lighter side of baseball i've got the grumpy side of baseball but you know i've got memories of you know different eras and uh you know Bert Campaneras, Bobby Dernier, Dave Nelson, good, good base stealing, and that to me that was fun. Plays at second base were fun, and I, I'm I'm glad they've eliminated some of the dangerous stuff like running into the catcher, but policing yourselves becomes a problem. Of course, they're all making so much money now, Bob, that I'm not sure where that features come where that factors in either. Well, it's weird because it's almost like. Uh... And, you know, I, I like some professional uh, thinking behind because some of the stuff we did, Jamie, in our era, it was, it was like Cro-Magnon. It was caveman stuff, okay? It was old. It, it was just, even back then, I thought it was just, you know, that's old uh, thinking, you know, yuck, yuck, ha, ha, he, he kind of stuff. I was, I never bought it, you know? I was always more, whatever. I was, I was thinking more along the lines of just tell me the truth or if you got something to, you know, coach me uh i'm open to it yeah but back then you know the coaches we had i'll give you an example i don't need to name names but i coached you know he was a hitting coach and he gave me this one well maybe try a heavier bat and i was uh you know I was like, no i don't need a heavier bat i need a lighter bat so i can be quicker this guy's a joke yeah. you know and that's how i looked at it even back then he's not going to teach me anything i've been teaching myself long enough now and listen to guys who can hit, who are in my peer group, and I'll be fine. I don't need an old, you know, some kind of old thinking uh, BS. And so I think some of that today has, it's evolved. And I like the evolution of the player in, in regards to nutrition. I wish we would have played uh, feeling good all the time. But in my era, it was, and because of the old school stuff, it was more about, can you play with a hangover? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Or or a bad knee or a bad leg or a, yeah. you know, uh, a hammy's kind of hurting you, but it hadn't given out. Yeah, it was a little bit, you know, drive you, drive you right in the dirt instead of knowing how to, you know, rest them and how they do today. They, they eat well. They, they're, it's important that, you know, it's not performance dehancing behaviors. You know, hmm. it, it, you know, we were really, it was part of our, uh, era is we're you know, forty years ago. Okay, the thinking was different. The dads, the grandpas had taught us, and kind of, you know what I mean. It was sure. just, it was, yeah. I I never bought it back then. I still don't. And if there's one thing I like about what they do today more than anything, it's that how they they make a good attempt to play uh, sober. I think, and I like that. Do you think it's easier for a, a kid, whether he's a prospect or? drafted in the 30th round and to go start out through short a a double a triple a it's harder for those guys to tell a hitting coach that they're full of crap or to ignore them 
than when you were coming up. I mean, if somebody said, hey, man, you know, you need to get your hands away from your body or you need to lower your hands or whatever, you know, you sort of couldn't say go jump in a lake. What, how did you address that? Well, that, that was the thing. See, at, at, at that point, baseball hadn't evolved where really there was, I mean, you, you would have called, the Phillies had a hitting coach, a fellow named Billy DeMars, and that was kind of unique. Up until then, it was like, that was like a, a luxury, like, oh, the Phillies have a, had a hitting coach. In the minor leagues, your hitting coach was your manager. And he had to have a number of different hats on. You know, he had to throw batting practice. I mean, this yeah. a manager, manager, and still, even today, in a lot of ways, that, that's a tough job. But, but uh, you really had to be uh, smart enough and have already enough skill. And, and let's face it, most of us could hit a little bit if you were able to sign pro. You know, you you had an idea anyway, and sure. so from there, it was about repetition and being consistent. And once you learn that, if you're smart enough, you know, to to make the adjustments and figure out what works for you and what doesn't, you should become your own best hitting coach with you know a little help from your peers. I mean, remember, the groups I hit in were you know Sandberg, Matthews, and and Durham or Moreland. Right. Or, or, or I had Rose, Schmidt, and Matthews, you know. I mean, I'd be, you have to be a real bad student to not learn something. <laughs> no kidding. Those are great. Hey, speaking of that, let's, let, for the uh, last few minutes, let's shift gears maybe and talk a little bit about one of my favorite places in the world, Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame. And in particular, a couple guys that you played with that are in the Hall of Fame now and uh, one that's not. Let's start with the one that's not. Uh, Pete Rose, what do, you th- what do you think about Pete? I know you're very admirable of Pete. Obviously, who wouldn't be? The guy could flat out play baseball as well as anybody ever. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, had, I only know from my own experience, and that's where I speak from. Uh, you know, I didn't... Uh, Pete was like 17, 18 years older than me when I came to the big leagues, he was already, I think, 40, and I'm like 20, you know, I'm, I'm 25, and so he was he had to be in his early 40s, I think, in 80, 82, and I'm, I'm playing every day now, and he's on deck, hitting second, and so my experience was the guy taught me, he made me a, about a five-year veteran in a matter of two months. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I mean, I knew things, I, I was aware of things, I knew pitchers. Uh, that I hadn't faced before I went up there. I knew umpires and how their strike zones may change from one guy to the next. I knew catcher's arms. I knew outfielder's arms. I knew I knew little idiosyncrasies. Like, for example, I remember one, one game we were playing, of course, it's, it's vivid because it was a teammate of his, and, he's, and Johnny Bench had now moved to play third base for the Reds. And Pete told me, he said, listen here, speed he called me speed (laughs) and uh he said hey speed listen here uh if you don't bunt at least twice today you're just dumb as a post that's great yeah so of course what i do i was one for two bunting uh you know (laughs) which is not a bad average no kidding that's great and and so you know obviously i mean i might have taken a look down there myself but pete emphasized things and he would he would do things that would accelerate you mentally 
Uh, and, and, and so for me, I had nothing but a positive interaction. I know about the gambling and the women, all the different things that, that the story of Pete, the hall of fame's a museum. You know, I went up for Sandberg's ceremony in 05. Oh, Jamie, absolutely. And, and that was you know, an invitation and I'll always be flattered and, and cherish that. And Rhino and I are still friends and talk occasionally as well and see each other regularly. But he, he talked about respect. And I agree with what he had to say and the steroid hints. And we all knew gambling was something you couldn't do. It was on the door of the clubhouse every day. It's a big sign. Don't gamble on the games. So, you know, Pete sort of got what he asked for, you know, in a way. But we all love forgiveness and a second chance. And I don't know that that Pete really uh, sought that or – Went after that the right way, but was he a Hall of Fame player? Huh. No doubt. Yeah, and and, and I, I would prefer that all the guys that were Hall of Fame players were in the Hall, and you told the whole story. I agree. Even even if it was bad. Yeah, but there's that, you know there's that there's that God uh, given talent, and the and the kid next door, Jamie. I don't want my kids or grandkids to think you got to put a needle in your butt to play in the major leagues. True or or the, or the like. And so for me, uh, I guess the stories will be told and, and, uh, Pete may never be in the hall of fame and it's too bad. Yeah. You know, I've gone back and forth and then maybe changed a little bit with the, uh, this latest, um, deal with the Astros. And I compared that a little bit to the Black Sox scandal in 1919 and why, why, uh, you know, there's three or four guys off of that 1919 White Sox team that are in the Hall of Fame that didn't get wrapped up in that conspiracy. But Joe Jackson, it, to me, is right there with Pete Rose. And I think, you know, maybe Pete gets in after he can't give a speech. I don't know. It seems to me that they But things change. Bond, Sosa, McGuire, things, things change. And... Uh, who knows? But I, I just, I love the Hall of Fame. I went to the uh, induction ceremony uh, when Santa was uh, inducted, and his wife was there giving a speech. And I think it was with it was with Barry Larkin. But I mean, I could spend at least a week every year there. And one of your teammates from uh, the, I believe, the '84 Cubs uh, got in, got inducted last year. Uh, Lee Smith. Big Lee. Yeah, I got to go. I didn't get to go to Cooperstown, but I did get to go up. I was on the list of, of a select few and, and uh, uh, really proud to be uh, at Wrigley on September 1st. They had a day at Wrigley for him, and a bunch of us were there. And we got to go, you know, do the whole ceremony on the field. And uh, it was my granddaughter's uh, uh, 16th or uh, uh, 15th birthday area that summer, and she had never been to Wrigley with me she'd been up with her dad my son dustin's daughter yeah uh, but we hadn't been together together at wrigley and so she got to experience that with us as well and and dustin's birthday his 40th birthday happened to be september 3rd so we kind of made it into our own little event within an event how cool lee smith is one of those guys jamie let me tell you from louisiana big time okay <laughs> and he can go into he is one of the most entertaining people that I've ever been around. He's like a big brother to me. And he calls me his big brother. Cause I'm a little older, I think. 
Yeah. And uh, anyway, the point being, we've become uh, like brothers over the years and uh, have remained that way. So proud of him. He, he had long deserved to be in there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a, it, it was uh, it was a good thing uh, for Cub uh, fans too, because every convention, every fantasy camp, that's all I ever heard fans talk about. Yeah. Well, and you remember the, I think the day before the camp ends, there's a, a nice dinner and all of the, all of you guys are there and all the campers are there. And at my table, I, I think it was Leon Durham and, and, uh, and Lee Smith. And, you know, after a week, they're pretty funny, and uh, to me, the the mornings of the uh, kangaroo court were great. But I mean, by the end of the week, I was getting grief from uh, Lee Smith, and I'm not sure I deserved it. But he's a funny, good guy, and I know that everything he said was in jest. So I have uh, at least some personal memory of ending the week of fantasy camp with uh, a sore hamstring and a and a fun story to tell about all all the guys that were there, including Santo. That, it was fun for for me when Ron, I'd hurt my leg and Santo came out. He's Now he's got, you know, two uh, legs that are no longer with him. And he asked, he, and he's, as you know, he's pretty sturdy on his, on his uh, artificial limbs. And I was limping around and Santo comes over to me and pushes me and says, hey, you want me to go run for you? And I thought, you know, stuff like that. For guys like me, it makes fantasy camp so memorable. Yeah, Santa was so awesome. It is. I still see uh, the boys, you know, Ronnie Jr. and Jeff come to fantasy camp, and and or I'll see them at Wrigley or both. And daughter Linda uh, is one of my faves, and and Vicky, you know, she's always uh, present at some e- charity event. Usually, I'll run into her and or in spring training. So I get an I get a good dose of the Santos. I wear my number ten hat proudly still today, and. One of my favorite golf hats, by oh, the way. Oh, that's great. And yeah, I, and he was, you know, when you mentioned his legs, I got to tell you a short story on Santa. Because I asked him one time, I said, hey, I said, what if there's one thing, Ronnie, What what's the one thing that kind of pisses you off a little bit about your legs, right? And Because he would answer any question you asked him. And he said, wow, Bob, he says, it's funny you asked that. I said, because it, here's what it is. He said, you know, and this is when he was still doing the radio, right? Right. And... And he said, yeah, I'm up in my hotel room. I, I, I'm ready for bed. I got everything, you know, the la- I'm just ready, ready to turn the lamp out. You know, my legs are laying over there. And I get up in bed and I lay back. And then I remember something I need. I forgot. I got to go down to the gift shop, right? Now I got to get up. I got to put my legs back on. I got to do this. I got to do And he said, so if there's one thing, it's that when I need something late at night that I can't just pop up and go get it done and get back in bed. So... That that's how I mean that's how oh, kind of that's great. Yeah, he is about a lot of just life's everyday uh, things, and he lived to be seventy, which wasn't nearly long enough. But let me tell you something, Jamie. That guy, what I knew about him, he crammed about one forty into seventy. That's what I've heard, and that's you know, again, so many of those guys in that era, from Becker to Williams to Hundley. Um, what what a great group for you to have good friends out of that that group, and I'm sure there are lots of groups that you have. But uh, boy, oh boy, those guys just epitomize to me the uh, 
the thrill of a professional baseball player. And, you know, from a nut like me, I certainly appreciated getting to at least say hello to those guys. And back then I could shake their hand. Now maybe that won't happen. But, hey, man, you've been great. We've been going at this, and it seems like we've been talking for five minutes. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how long the COVID-19 stuff's going to go on, but I hope uh, I hope you had a good time and that we can do this again in a couple of weeks because there's about a thousand things that we haven't talked about that I'd love to touch base with you on. And uh, it's been my pleasure, man. I really appreciate it, Bob. My, my pleasure. And actually, you know, this is like, I think, kind of a, uh, a new normal. That's a fancy word you can use today, right? It, it's not unusual. You and I could have sat around with a painkiller and done this uh, any day of the week in the past. Oh, okay. my God. Painkillers, you're killing me. The best drink on the islands. That, that made the trip worthwhile for me. But, hey, it's been great. And uh, maybe we can... Uh, how's Randy doing? Uh, Mr. Hundley, and, and, and you mentioned those those guys, Fergie, uh, on and on, like big brothers to me, or uncles. Uh, they, they truly are. And Randy, he's had some health issues, uh, knee replacement. Uh, he had an accident uh, that, that, that post-surgery. The, he really had a tough time, but uh, he was somehow managing to get, get around down there in uh in late january um up to super bowl weekends was when it uh concluded this year so i need to check in on him that's a good heads up for me check back in see how he's his recovery's going well we played golf together uh he was teamed with my wife and i and uh a couple of years i i know uh he had a good time we had a good time so uh maybe we can get randy uh to give me a few minutes on the lighter side of baseball, but stay on the line. Let me uh, end this, and uh, I'll, I'll be right with you, Bob. But again, this is Jamie Resky and Bobby Denier, one of the great Cubs from the 1984 uh, National League East Division winning team that should have uh, had home field advantage that meant something, but he's not. Uh, he may be a little bitter, but what a great guy. I've enjoyed it, and thanks for making this show great. <laughs>